I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From MCIE. I remember when I was a special education teacher, um, people would say, well, you know, why is, why is this child in my class? He can't, and then they, you know, fill in the blank, he can't read, he can't talk, he can't whatever. Um, what are they going to get out of it? They're so far behind grade level. So all of this kind of deficit thinking kind of focused on these students. Um, and I would always be like, they're going to get a lot out of it. There's so many things that we don't even think about that are happening in this general education classroom that are so, so helpful. Hello and welcome to Season 8, Episode 6 of the Think Inclusive Podcast presented by MCIE. I'm your host, Tim Viegas. This podcast features conversations and commentary with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. Think Inclusive exists to build bridges between parents, educators, and disability rights advocates to promote inclusion for all students. That's right, y'all. All means all. To find out more about who we are and what we do, go to thinkinclusive.us, the official blog of MCIE, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So it's April, everyone, and you know what that means. It's Autism Acceptance Month. And on the blog, I wrote a piece about ways educators can learn autism acceptance from autistic individuals. And one of those ways is to amplify disability rights activists in your classroom. So if that sounds interesting, check it out and lots of other great information at thinkinclusive.us. Today on the podcast, we talk with Jenny Kurth, professor of special education at the University of Kansas. We discuss preparing for and implementing participation plans for students with complex support needs to be included in general education, and why we should all carry around a pocket-sized version of IDEA. Will you be the person to bring our patron number to double digits? Go to patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast to become a patron today. Your contribution helps us with the cost of audio production, 
transcription, and promotion of the Think Inclusive podcast. Thank you for helping us equip more people to promote and sustain inclusive education. Stick around after the break, our interview with Jenny Kurth. Today on the Think Inclusive podcast, I would like to um, welcome Dr. Jenny Kurth, who is the Associate Professor of Special Education at the U- University of Kansas. Um, her research centers on inclusive education for students with extensive and pervasive support needs. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me here, Tim. Uh, so the reason why that I even thought about like we need to get Jenny on is... Um, the the article that you wrote uh in cec and of course i don't have it in front of me <laughs> it's actually up here well let me grab it <laughs> you can see i'm very prepared i know the feeling <laughs> all right uh yeah so the article is called um preparing for and implementing effective inclusive education with uh participation plans and um Something at MCIE that we're really, um, that we love doing is doing like individual student planning um, for students who are, who are included um, in general education. And I love the article and I had lots of questions. So um, I wanted to dive in uh, this with you. Um, but before, before we get into like the, you know, what a participation plan is and everything, I'd love for you to... Um, talk about why inclusive education is a matter of social justice? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it made me, um, you know, think about a couple of different things. And one of the things that we know, just, you know, really solidly know, is that people with disabilities or who experience disabilities have inequitable outcomes uh, upon leaving school. And so when we think about, you know, what has been happening for people who have disabilities over the past 45 years or even longer? Well, they've been separated, segregated, controlled, you know, uh, decisions made for them, lack of communication sports, all of these sorts of things have just been the status quo in, in education for all of this time. And so when we start talking about inclusive education, I think we're really talking about disrupting those practices that are focused on, you know, control, segregation, you know, those sorts of things that can maybe lead to better outcomes for people. And when you just look, you know, briefly at what does social justice mean, if you look in the dictionary, talks about the distribution of wealth, opportunity, and privilege within a society. And if you think about where is the wealth, opportunity, and privilege within schools, it's in general education. It is not in those separate special education classes. And so we think about, you know, what are the the wealth in the general education classrooms? Well, it's the kids without disabilities who you can talk to and play with and learn with. It's the teachers who are content area experts. It's the opportunities to have a structured 
curriculum with the scope and a sequence. Um, the opportunities tie into all of those things as well um, in terms of having a real curriculum and not just like a series of random worksheets or something like that that people are just pulling together to teach with. Um, and then all the, you know, the privilege, the opportunity to learn, the privilege of having high expectations of, you know, being, um, a member of a classroom and a valued member of the classroom nonetheless, the dignity of learning and the dignity of having opportunities to learn from and with other people. So, you know, you just think kind of even simply that there's so many opportunities related to social justice that happen in these um, inclusive settings that we really need to focus on. Um, and, you know, I think that as Inclusive education in and of itself doesn't do that. You can't just put a kid in a classroom and all of a sudden, you know, there's social justice happening and all of the inequities disappear, but you have to plan for it. We have to really think about how we're going to support people and to meet their needs and have that general education classroom be the place where they are valued, they're learning, they're having opportunities, you know, all of those sorts of things. So to me, that's, those are some of the reasons why inclusive education is an issue of social justice. And I'm really anxious as a field to start moving into a place where we don't have to talk about uh, these kinds of advocacy people for students with disabilities, uh, that we can really say, um, you know, everybody belongs and that there's no like false binary anymore about either special education for special things or general education for everybody else, but that there's really this one common education that can really meet the needs of everybody. And I think what's kind of exciting to me is that we're at a place in our field where we know how to do that. When people started advocating for inclusive education, you know, before I was born, um, <laughs> and that's what's also just, disheartening, I guess, to me, is that we've been talking about this for a long time. But when people started talking about inclusive education, it came only from that place of social justice, that it felt like the right thing to do, separating and segregating felt wrong. But now we know how to do it. We know that it results in positive outcomes, you know, for kids with disabilities and without disabilities, that, you know, parents prefer it. We just have so much overwhelming you know, legal, philosophical, and research-based reasons to do it, that there's just really no reason to continue on with the status quo, in my opinion. With the new focus on equity, especially, I mean, we, in education, we've been focusing on equity for a long time, but mm -hmm. it seems like there is a um, sea change um, in, in other fields to look at equity. Mm -hmm. um, are you hopeful that that is also going to bring some new light? I am always help hopeful about that. I was um, talking somewhat about this in our class last night where I'm teaching people to be special education teachers and that, you know, talking with them about some of the things that they were raised with in terms of having kids with disabilities in their classrooms or their schools even, um, the focus around social justice and equity happening kind of nationwide and even worldwide right now, that it starts to help us move in that direction. And I feel, you know, maybe as an older person now, that the next generation has a lot going for it in terms of what they're going to be offering. Um, but part of it is that we still need to keep doing the work. We can't just wait for the next generation to come and say, you know, we're woke. <laughs> we understand social justice and equity. We need to really teach people and teach ourselves to look for and really be critical thinking about the instances of inequity that happen in our schools. Um, and 
you know, you just peel back the lid a little bit and you see it everywhere. And so it, it reminds us there's a lot of work to do. Um, you know, we were kind of thinking about, you know, equity and opportunity and high expectations can can play out in so many different ways. Um, but one of the things that I, I think I often see is that we have so many examples in our schools and communities that keep positioning people with disabilities as being special and needing special things. So it's anything from night to shine or uh, unique learning systems or, or those sorts of things that are just saying, you know, there's this assumption that people with disabilities have special needs versus human needs. And I think getting away from that euphemism about being special and having special needs um, can help us focus more on human needs and then therefore take us closer to this place of equity that I think we're seeking. Um, so I'm trying to really hard to, in my teacher preparation, to have people really look for those and say, what are the things that are happening that are making these people with disabilities seem that they're somehow special or different? And how can we reframe that through advocacy or just, you know, simply like everyone goes to the same prom. It's the prom. We should all be able to have fun together. You know, those sorts of things. And so I, I think by really taking that close look, um, we can start to get there a little bit faster. Um, but I think there's also work for us to do in terms of, you know, people like me who are doing teacher education and doing research that we need to be at the forefront as well. Um, changing some of the the ways that we're going about doing our research that we have to involve students with disabilities more they need to be centered in our decisions and not doing things for and about them as we have kind of historically been doing um and then also you know making sure that the research agendas that we lay out are based on their needs and their preferences and their desires and not so much about what's easy for me to do as a researcher for example so really trying to, to kind of lead in those ways, but then also just thinking about, you know, even some of the language that we're using. I, I hate special education, for, for example. Um, mm -hmm. To me, that is really, when you say you're a special education teacher or you're working in special education, it, it takes people to these assumptions that, oh, you must be, you know, really patient and kind. I'm not. I'm really impatient and I'm not very, probably not very nice either. Like I want to, I want to make things happen for people. So, you know, <laughs> make, taking that away and then having the special education makes people assume that there's a classroom with special things in it. And if maybe instead we started talking about, you know, specialized supports or something like that, so that it's really thinking about supports that follow people wherever they go versus having the special education program or place that might kind of help us maybe hopefully move in other yeah. directions as well yeah you know uh, i don't think i ever put it together in the law it doesn't actually say special education mm -hmm. um until i really started to 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 look at it um, yeah and um yeah it's always it, it's always it's um interesting yeah i i feel the same way like when you actually look at idea Congress did a good job. There's things I would obviously change, but there's a lot in there that is strengths-based and kind of forward-thinking and really, you know, focusing on outcomes. And if it's almost like, you know how when you uh, watch people in the Senate or something and they pull out their copy of the Constitution from their front pocket, like, I wish we could just, like, pull out our copy of IDEA from our front pockets and be like, well, you know, Section 600.331 says, I, I just feel like 
it's there and we just need to live up to that kind of lofty aspirations that are already in IDEA. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the original document, you know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a good idea, Jenny. Maybe maybe we should market that. <laughs> a pocket IDEA. <laughs> It's kind of darky, but <laughs> but I always think it might be helpful. I don't know. <laughs> what are you reading there? I'm um, just reading IDEA. Just IDEA. It's just, cool. Yeah. <laughs> fine. And then I've got a I've got a binder of the Federal Register. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, good stuff. Good stuff. Right. Um, Okay, well, let's talk about the participation plans because I, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed reading this. Oh, uh, good. Why don't you set it up uh, for our listeners? Because I'm, I'm sure you could do a better job than I could. Um, and so, uh, you know, what what is a participation plan, and why do you students? Why should student? Why should educators use them? Yeah. So, when we were thinking about um, doing this little, you know, creation of these participation plans, it was really based on um, kind of two things, I guess, to me. One is that um, I remember when I was a special education teacher, um, people would say, well, you know, why is, why is this child in my class? He can't, and then they, you know, fill in the blank, he can't read, he can't talk, he can't whatever. Um, what are they going to get out of it? They're so far behind grade level. So all of this kind of deficit thinking kind of focused on these students. Um, and I would always be like, they're going to get a lot out of it. There's so many things that we don't even think about that are happening in this general education classroom that are so, so helpful. And so for me, the participation plan is one way of starting to outline those things and say, here's why general education is a meaningful place for every student. Um, it's not a place you have to earn your way into and all of those sorts of things, but something helpful for everybody. But then I also was thinking uh, when we were creating it that uh, having a plan that's co-created with general and special education teachers is really, really helpful um, in terms of bringing their joint expertise to this planning, but then also making sure their planning was oriented around research-based practices so that it was giving them sort of a structure to think through so that when they were thinking about a student coming into their classroom for this particular unit or whatever, that they would be able to draw on some uh, some research-based practices to guide their discussions. And so um, it starts with, and I did print mine out because I, I remember, uh, it starts with an ecological assessment. And so part of the idea there is that this has been something that, you know, we talk about in special education forever, that you need to understand what the man demands of the environment are and make sure that we understand where a student does and does not need support during these sort of typical routines. And so taking the time to say, you know, Jenny needs support here, but not here is really helpful so that I'm not over supported and develop learned helplessness or, you know, something like that, but that I do get the support when I need it so that I'm able to keep learning. Um, so we want to just be careful to do those ecological assessments and say over this, you know, typical activity. So maybe, um, in this science class, it starts off with a, a warm-up on the board, and then the teacher does a lecture, and then there's a lab, and then there's uh, writing in your planners at the end of the class period. So those are the four things that typically happen. Let's just see what supports Jenny would need for each of those four parts. And then having that sort of as the foundation can help us layer in support so that we know when and what to do. Um, we also wanted to really focus on sort of the hidden 
skills so that maybe, um, uh, you know, in this participation plan, it's really focused on identifying times to work on IEP goals and then priority learning skills. But even outside of those, there's a lots of hidden opportunities to learn. Like maybe I'm still learning to raise my hand instead of calling out, or I'm uh, learning to communicate with my lab partners using my communication device or whatever that might be. So those would be opportunities to uh, work on additional skills that are maybe not the priority for that content area. Um, thinking about what supports I would need. So um, are there kind of general supports that everybody has or really individual supports that I would need? And one of the things that I like in terms of focusing on general supports is that um, when we look in a, in a you know typical general education classroom, there's a lot of supports already provided. Maybe there's you know words written on the wall or a timer or a schedule or those sorts of things that we can start to build from and then uh, making sure that those are available to everybody. And then recognizing that some kids will also need more individualized supports, like maybe I need a couple other words written on my desk or something like that to help me. Um, then it goes into embedded instructions to how we're going to find opportunities to teach skills and uh, then linking those to um, the, uh, linking the skills that we're going to be teaching to the content that's happening. So for example, if we're teach, you know, learning about the digestive system, I'm going to have some priority skills related to that learning about the digestive system. Um, and, and so that could be um, a really helpful conversation to have with a general education teacher. I know when I was a teacher and I've had this happen in, in research opportunities too, when I go and ask that science general education teacher, for example, like, what, what are kids going to learn in this unit about the digestive system? They're going to come at me with like 57 vocabulary words, 30 science lab skills, um, you know, 25, uh, you know, content related things or something like that. And so that's great for some kids. There's some kids who are going to learn all of that and some kids who are going to learn a subset of that. And so working with that general teacher and saying, well, out of all of those really great things, because I know how much you love science, what are the things that are really important that you want every person to remember from this unit 15 years from now? And then if we can kind of start to hone in on what those things are, those could become the priority learning skills for students um, in, who are, have more extensive and pervasive support needs who are in that general education classroom. And so thinking about that priority skills can help us make some of those decisions about what should we base our accommodations and modifications on? Um, what should the general education teacher make sure that they say every class period so that we're reinforcing those big skills, but, and just really making sure that we're focusing on them and giving kids opportunities to learn those things. And so to me, the, you know, the priority or the participation plan can be a way to start bringing those ideas together and making sure that we have, you know, an idea of how we're going to be teaching kids and that it makes sense and that we all think that there's useful things happening for the students in the class and we all know what we want people to be learning and how they're going to be learning it when they're in that class. Um, so I, I think it's helpful in aligning, you know, those instructions and modifications, for example. You know, how do we support teachers when they don't have built-in collaboration time? And 
you know, it's kind of like that same idea, right? You know, what is this kid going to get out of? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. going to have to spend all this extra time planning yeah. for this student. So how, how can we talk? How can we speak to that? It's a legitimate good question because I hear it all the time and it sounds like you do too. Um, and it's, it's the reality. I mean, we are asking teachers to do so much and not giving them the time and resources to do it. Um, so I, I don't want this kind of planning thing to feel like one of those. So a couple of thoughts. One is that um, say my student is involved in this science class all year long, which hopefully they are. They're a full-time member of this science class. We might spend a little extra time doing this planning together, the first one, two, three units of instruction. But then we're like, yeah, we know what to do during lecture. So even if we're learning about the digestive system or astronomy or whatever, we got a plan for lectures. Oh, and guess what? We've also got a plan for labs. Oh, and guess what? We've got a plan for, you know, taking notes from the board. So it becomes something that there's skills that you're generating that are going to be useful across time. Now, let's say, boy, you know, this this science teacher had a really out-of-the-box idea and they're going to do a task that we've never planned for before. I might need to then get sit back down with that Jenna teacher and talk about this unique thing that's happening. But, you know, teachers don't often do that. And it's because they don't have the time or resources to do a lot of, you know, really creative thinking. And if they do, it could still be a shorter conversation planning around that one unique thing. Um, so that's one thought is that this is a skill and a task that's going to be transportable across the student's day. So I could even then say, hey, when I was talking to Tim, the science teacher, I'm going to now bring some of these ideas to Kayla, the English teacher, and say, hey, these are some things we thought about for lecture. What do you think? How would that work in your classroom? And then it's going to help those conversations unfold easier. Um, And the other thing is, uh, you know, I think it is part of being a, a teacher is that you have to be a leader and an advocate. And if you want to have high quality instruction, you have to bring those leadership and advocacy skills to your principal and say, I need to be part of grade level team meetings or I need to be part of content level team meetings so that I can have time to talk to teachers during the dedicated times when that's already happening at our schools. Um, so that's one other thing. And then I think we can also be a little bit more flexible in how we how we do planning. Um, there's no reason that this participation plan couldn't be put on a Google Doc or something like that where you can start taking notes and filling it all out together online but not together and so that then I can see you know what Tim wrote and I can add to it or something and so then when we do have two or three or five minutes to talk in person it's just catching up about what we already wrote in this you know shared e-document that we're working from so I think to me um, that that's an example of having to be a flexible thinker and an advocate there's never going to be more time or more money or all the things that we want but we have to be creative about, you know, finding another way to do things. And I think um, it was Mark Gold in the 70s who kind of, you know, trademarked that talking about special education was find another way. And it's kind of like the living, you know, mantra, I guess, in my life. We, If this way didn't work, we got to find another way because it's so important that we keep doing these things. And so figure out what works for you and thinking about this as being a, you know, over time, time saver. There's a little bit of investment up front, but over time, it'll save you a lot of collaboration and planning and kind of 
on-the-spot decision-making that could lead to bad decisions, honestly, for students. If you're just always like, I don't know what to focus on, so we're going to just do this activity. Um, Whereas having a plan would make us be more conscious and mindful of what the goals are for the students and how they're going to be supported to meet those goals, rather than, you know, leaving it up to chance or, you know, coming up with things moment by moment all the time, which I know I did too much of as a teacher. I, I had, I didn't have a great plan and I wish that I would have. And, you know, because I didn't have a great plan, a lot of times those decisions were left to paraprofessionals who are working with students. And they're, you know, that was my first job being a paraprofessional. And that's a really difficult position to put untrained teachers in to make those decisions. So we need to be kind of upfront in helping people make those decisions and having some you know, structure to fall back on. Let's say you were appointed the U.S. Secretary of Education. Sorry, Dr. Cardona. <laughs> Dr. Kurth is now the Secretary of Ed. What would, you, what would be your biggest priority? It's hard to say my biggest, but I think one of the things that I would really want to address is this outdated version or notion of the least restrictive environment. Um, I I am thinking that the only people in the United States we talk about their degree of appropriate restrictiveness is kids with disabilities and prisoners who are incarcerated in jails and prisons. And it just seems like such an odd thing to me that we even talk then about how restricted some people should be when they've committed no crimes. You know, they're, they're not a danger <laughs> to society. They're just kids trying to go to school and learn. But for some reason, we're treating them like prisoners. So I would like to just get rid of that. I know that when the LRE was first proposed, it was kind of intended to be this, you know, short-term thing to kind of get kids back into school or get kids into schools. But it has far outlasted its use. And um, there is no reason to have this continuum of placements uh, anywhere in federal law, because we have so much evidence showing that it's, it's not helpful to separate and segregate students at all, ever. Um, I, you can find hundreds, probably thousands of research articles showing the importance and the positive outcomes associated with inclusive education for students with complex support needs. But I challenge you to find even one demonstrating even one positive outcome for a separate or segregated setting. So the the evidence is so clear that we just don't need to have that anymore. And I think when people have thought about the LRE, um, you know, back in the 70s, they were like, well, you know, teachers aren't trained yet. They were just admiring all the barriers. But we don't need to do that in 2021 or whenever, you know, IDEA is reauthorized. Those are, that's an easy thing we can do. And I think I also mentioned, I would really like to eliminate just the very idea of special education and start focusing more on supports and have, have instead of having kids qualify for special education because of an educational label and a need for special education, both of those things are markers for segregation. And so instead, if we said, what are the support needs that a student has? And really thought about those in terms of communication support needs or behavior support needs or academic support needs or physical support needs or whatever. And then said, let's design an education system that addresses those supports through specialized supports versus through special education, which is kind of you know, a mess. <laughs> it's just not very effective, honestly. So really thinking about to me, those two things, I think, would make a really big difference in how we thought about, um, you know, 
the dignity and the right to learn and all of those things of students with complex support needs and to think about promoting inclusive education for them as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I would nominate Ah, uh, Thanks, Tim. <laughs> I don't want the job. <laughs> that sounds like a right. lot. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it does. It does. Um, oh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, let me see if I missed anything. Um, I think we covered it all. Oh, what is, is there anything that you, um, that you wish that you could tell our audience? I think, um, what I wish we could, I could tell the audience is I'm going to base this around person who's living in Kansas for the last seven years. When you live in Kansas and people hear you're from Kansas, they bring out all the Wizard of Oz jokes. And so you're like, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've heard the one about where's Toto and like click my shoes and whatever. But one of the things that I like about the Wizard of Oz, and this is something I heard somebody else say, is that Dorothy, poor Dorothy, was stuck over the rainbow and just wanted desperately to go home. And she didn't know the whole time that she was so sad that she could have just clicked her shoes and gone home. And she had a lot more power than she realized she had throughout that whole film. And I think that's what I would want people listening to this to think about is that you have so much power that you might not even recognize that you have in terms of promoting positive outcomes and a dignified experience and inclusive education for learners with the most complex support needs. And so I hope that you use that power and that you're not afraid to use it to do good work. All right. Well, um, thank you again to Dr. Jenny Kurth for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. We appreciate your time. That will do it for this episode of the Think Inclusive podcast. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Anchor app. And while you're there, give us a review so more people can find us. Have a question or comment? Email us at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you're listening. Thank you to patrons Pamela P., Veronica E., Kathleen T., and Mark C. for their continued support of the podcast. This podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at mcie.org. We will be back at the end of April with a special bonus episode. And if you don't already subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly-ish, check us out at weeklyish.substack.com. Thanks for your time and attention. See you next time. And remember... Inclusion always works. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.